Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Brett Heyman, founder and creative director of 13-year-old bag brand Edie Parker and 3-year-old Flower by Edie Parker, which makes cannabis-adjacent accessories. I'll let Brett explain. (laughs) The brand has recently gained a large Gen Z following, thanks in large part to its products going viral on social media. So I wanted to ask Brett how she's leaned into the buzz and how the rapid rise of Flower has changed her business. Welcome, Brett. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Does everybody call you Edie? <laughs> everybody calls me Edie. And it's confusing because it's my daughter's name. Um, oh, so, yeah. This explains so much. I was going to ask where the name, how it came to be. Yes, I know. You know, I um, I had my daughter Edie, whose name is Edie Parker Heyman, uh, in 2009. And shortly after that, I left my job and founded Edie Parker. And for those moms out there, I don't know about you, but it took me so long to land on her name. And I just felt spent. I was like, I can't name something else. I really like her name. Let me just use it again. Right on. Good for you. Tell me what you were doing. I don't know your whole history, founding story. What job did you leave? So I had, um, I left Gucci at that time. I was the director of public relations, um, but I had started at Gucci about eight years before in the PR department. I was a PR assistant. I had left for about a year and a half to go to Dolce & Gabbana and then came back to Gucci. Um, And I covered accessories and I covered obviously ready to wear at the end, but I really had my, my background as an accessories. And simultaneously, and actually way before that, starting from high school, I grew up in LA. I grew up thrifting every weekend. Um, and I'd collected vintage bags from the time I was 12 and 13. And I had always um, sort of gravitated to and kept in all the cleanouts my vintage acrylic clutches. So after I had Edie and I really just wanted a change and wanted to do something more creative, I married my lifelong vintage thrifting collecting with my uh, experience in accessory PR and and saw where the holes were. And and that's what inspired me to launch E.D. Parker. Oh my gosh, I love this. And were these acrylic clutches, is this really from a point in time or is it like mid-century era? Like, are are they all from the, the same time? This went away and you're bringing it back. Yes, they're from, you know, the 1950s. It's really a post-World War innovation item where the, you know, we're experimenting with all these new materials and America is setting fashion trends globally and the use of plastics, acrylic is really a, a type of plastic, um, is part of this innovation. And it's really like the founder stories from the 50s are people that worked in like mechanics or automobiles and they just were, we're experimenting with this new material. Um, and so I sort of have always gravitated toward this period because it was just so creative. And for me, anytime I wore the bags, um, there was this sense of nostalgia with everybody. You know, everybody would be like, oh, my aunt has a bag like that, my grandma, my mom. And there's a curiosity. I mean, it just it really harkens back to something that makes people feel a certain way. And I really wanted to capture that. And they did become increasingly hard to find. And and they sort of, you know, they weren't made, they were really handmade items. And and we still hand make them, but we've made a lot of um, innovative progress that that makes them not yellow and not kind of fall apart in the same way. <laughs> right on. Out of the gate, did you do the, I would say like, 
fun bags and they have a great a word they have maybe they were customizable maybe that that came later on but um were they always so fun um well thank you i mean look i think i always joke that life is serious and your accessories don't have to be i think that was part of the point we launched the personalization program about a year after inception um and it got certainly more fun but in the beginning i would hand draw motifs and i'm not at all talented you know they were pretty childish, the drawings. But the idea was that nobody focused on evening bags as a category. They were very serious. They were like miniature versions of a best-selling bag, or they were like, you know, sleek and satin and, you know, and beautiful. But I kind of thought the idea was, let's have fun with something and, and make it more of a conversation piece. And then in its off time, a decor item, you know, it sits on a table, you can put things in it, you can put it on your vanity, and it just makes people happy. Yes. Well, your background was in luxury. Uh, do you consider your, I do, your brand a luxury brand? And and what did it look like in 2010 to go to market with a luxury brand? Did that mean Barney's partner or one of those guys? Luxury is a tricky word for me because we didn't set out to make an expensive item. But the fact is, every bag that we made until very recently was handmade in America, you know, by skilled artisans who learned this trade of how to make this one of a kind item. So they were expensive and they were luxurious in the sense that they were, you know, they were made skillfully. Um, and in, in 2010, I think it was easier to have a luxury brand. Um, we were sort of like pre. Instagram and pre things being really, really fast moving trends, fast fashion, all that. I mean, it existed, but it just wasn't as influential. So, um, and I was very lucky because a lot of the people that I had worked with at Gucci had gone to Barney's. So to answer your question, yes, we launched exclusively with Barney's. I was right. You were right. And (laughs) then went to Bergdorf's. It was impressive. Um, But yeah, I mean, it was, my background really was so helpful. And I always say this to founders coming up, which is like, it's really great to work in the industry you want to break into first and to meet people and to have some contacts and have a leg up. I think to if I had started and had a suitcase Willie Loman style of acrylic bags, I would not have known where to go. But I knew a lot of people. I knew what was missing. I knew how to promote it, who to get to promote it. And it just really, um, it was obviously very helpful. Yes. Did you bootstrap the business out of the gate? Did you know where to go for the production? The production, absolutely not. That was the hardest thing. I had never made anything. It was not hard for me to publicize it once I had the items. You know, I knew which stylists would like it and which celebrities might wear it and and where to sell it. All of that was something I knew how to do, but making something was nearly impossible. And it was, you know, took the longest, it was the hardest. And frankly, it was what I did the worst after launch because. As I said, we had a lot of early success. We were in Barney's. We were in Bergdorf soon after. We were on the Met red carpet. Kate Hudson was pregnant at the 2011 Met and in this beautiful satin gown, and she was wearing our bag. She wore it the whole time. I mean, we had all these kind of moments where we had Met, we had Oscars, we had everything right out the gate. But I didn't even know what production design and, and um, you know, PD was. Like, I did, I'd never, I wasn't exposed to that at Gucci. That wasn't my wheelhouse. I didn't know what to ask. And I think... It just would have been very helpful for me if I had had a little bit more experience or knew to ask sort of proactively, what don't I know? Yes. Well, gosh, at the time, I would think a red carpet moment. Well, anyway, anytime Kate Hudson were, I know it's like she's the it girl. She sells everything. But a red carpet moment major, like what? how would you say that's evolved with not only celebrity and now it's 
influencers. And now there are a million channels where eyes are on fashion. Um, I don't know. Do you, would it have been, have been as, as impactful? Maybe. Um, but what would you say in terms of you launched the business today <laughs> more so than just stylists and celebs? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's completely different. And I think for better or worse, I mean, I think obviously I could, I could make an argument for both. I think when I launched, um, there were very few things that made impact. So as one example, coming from sort of luxury fashion PR, all I wanted was to get in vogue. And we got in vogue and we got in vogue a bit and it never really moved the needle, but it made me so happy. And then I remember we got a full page in Us Weekly with our bespoke bags, with all these celebrities wearing them. And that was like a floodgate opening. So while it wasn't intuitive to me at the time, you knew that like, if you get coverage in Us Weekly or something like that, you're going to sell product. Now it's the opposite. And it was, it was hard to get into those things, right? It was like, there were fewer things, but they made the product stickier and you were, could build a brand with a little bit more staying power. Now, obviously it's much more democratic. There's a bajillion platforms and anybody can have a viral product. But obviously the negative of that is that it doesn't last very long. You know, it's hard to, to build a brand with staying power because something is, is viral for a hot minute. And then the following month, it's obviously something else is exciting and new. Yeah, you're so right. How long were you doing bags before you expanded the brand to new categories? Um, we did bags until pretty exclusively, although different styles of bags until 2016, we launched a home collection. Um, because as I said, you know, it was my own preference to display the bags as home items. And then I found when I would hit the road and go to trunk shows that lots of people were doing that. Um, and they really, you know, they, they wouldn't hide the bag in the back of their closet, like you would another evening bag, they would display it because it either like was really beautiful or sparkly, or it had their name on it or a, a motif. Um, and so at some point it just kind of clicked that obviously we should make people boxes and trays and decor items that, you know, were in the same material and were part of our core competency. And that's honestly like what flower was born out of three years later in 2019, because we considered these flower items, these accessories as home decor items. You know, we believed that much like bar items, there was no shame in cannabis. There was no shame in cannabis accessories. And why wouldn't you want a beautiful hand-blown glass pipe, as an example, on your coffee table? Or, you know, I mean, there were just, we thought there was so much opportunity to treat those items in the way that we treated other Edie Parker home decor items. Yes. Well, let's talk launching flower. And I know, I don't know, is it the same as like, a CBD product where the advertising around it, there are a million uh, hurdles, boundaries, rules that you, you got to get around or not let the people come oh. to you. <laughs> no, no, it's, I would say it's worse than CBD. The marketing restrictions in THC and anything smokable are so onerous and so backwards. Um, and so, yeah, it's really hard to, to promote it in any traditional way. And it's why I'm so lucky and we're so lucky that we have traditional products that we can market, but we've had to, we had multiple websites at one point, we've had multiple payment processors. I mean, it's just really so complicated and for such old fashioned backwards reasons that, you know, just really don't make any sense. Oh, you're not kidding. Do partners, I would think that partners have been instrumental and I'm only, that's top of mind because your flower products were in the seat of a fashion show I was at oh, maybe this past fashion week or maybe the fashion week before. But but tell me about the audience and, and how partners are, are helpful in terms of getting in front of their audience. Yeah, I believe that was Colin Estrada, right? It was. I couldn't think of it. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, that's obviously that's, um, you know, it's a small part of what we do, but we're so appreciative when people are willing to say openly that they smoke cannabis or they're not afraid of cannabis because for us, you know, and again, it's obviously not for everybody and we're not here to try to convince people to start smoking cannabis, but the fact of the matter is it's a plant. It occurs in nature. It's been around for thousands of years in these beautiful ways and medicinal ways and rituals. And if you're just on its face comparing it to alcohol, it is so much less harmful. And so we think there's just so much good with cannabis. And we just think, you know, our brand tagline is for a good time. So we also just think it's fun to get high and and it just adds a lot to people's lives. But um, so when someone like Colin Estrada says, hey, I like what you're doing and let's give this out to, you know, and, and, and just kind of support you in what you're doing, we're deeply appreciative. And it's obviously very helpful for mainstream people uh, to, to come on board what we're doing. Yes. And un- CBD, in terms of beauty, the beauty wellness world, uh, spike, spike, spike in the last couple of years. We're seeing that on the decline, but that's a different ball game. Like, tell me about the the trajectory you've seen. Well, look, I think a lot of CBD is like snake oil, right? I mean, just not everything is created equal. I think there's a lot of great benefits to CBD, but it's like anything where it's like, you know, how is it being used? How is it being extracted, et cetera? I think not in beauty specifically, but I think in ingestibles, like THC has just been legalized in so many states. And I think for most people, if they can get THC, CBD becomes a little bit less appealing or, you know, THC with CBD is so great. But I think if you have a choice to have a CBD gummy or a gummy with CBD and a little THC, like a little one-to-one here, I think most people are, are picking that. Totally. That makes good sense. Well, tell me, this is all related, uh, how, how Gen Z, how some of these Gen Z hot products came about. I know you've got, oh my gosh, this amazing burn bag, which I don't even smoke and I need this in my life. <laughs> like It's so good. Um, but anyway, tell me about how, yes, you got on Gen Z's radar. Well, that bag, I mean, I love that bag. And I say all day that that bag is not for smokers. It's for moms whose kids want to make s'mores. It's for women who want to burn sage. It's for lighting your incense. It's for anytime you need a light. And it's like a party trick, you know, like every dinner I go to, I'm lighting the votives. I'm blowing out candles so I can relight them. It's just... Our products have always surprised and delighted, and that's 1,000% a continuation. And similarly, I think, um, you know, obviously everything we do has a nod to vintage or something that's come before. And the origin of that bag was really the same, where like I collect all these old Minodiers and they had lipsticks on the outside. And we just started thinking like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if the lipstick was some kind of function that's not a lipstick and, you know, maybe it's a lighter. And, and so I think it's just... Again, I think Gen Z and all of us, I mean, I'm on the I'm on the border of old millennial and Gen X, I guess. But I think in order to buy anything, we don't need anything, right? I mean, everything is just a luxury unless you're talking about actually things you need. And so for me, if I'm going to spend money on something, I need it to be sticky in some way. I need it to feel compelling or have a story. And then so that burn bag, I think a lot of people felt that way. And especially coming out of a global pandemic and being home, like there's just, it's so fun. It's so conversational. It's, it's like, you know, it's like our bespoke bags used to do because, you know, and still do, but like they have a word on them. You know, people would engage you about it and say, that's interesting. That's cool. Or like, you know, we have people that put divorced on their bags and would go to a bar and like, you know, meet, meet people. And so I think the burn bag has that same kind of ethos where it's a conversation starter and it's a party in your hand. Yes. I think that this is going to surprise me, but uh, tell me about the overlap of the handbag OG Edie Parker customer and the flower customer. 
you know, it's it's tricky. Um, the Venn diagram of those women is not huge, but I think we have been surprised by the the women who were originally buying flower products. Look, I think people are curious about cannabis. They're curious about THC. It's still intimidating. You know, even in New York where I live, there's not a lot of legal dispensaries. So I think the prospect of buying a THC product, and I'm talking about the actual flower products, not just the accessories now, from a brand that has been around for, you know, 12 plus years who people know and trust is very appealing because I think, you know, there's just like, there's so many unknowns when you walk into a dispensary. So I think in that way, it's really interesting for people. Similarly, I think there's a lot of women, you know, who are our older customer um, who have been buying E.D. Parker bags for years, for events, for charities, who... I was shocked when Christmas came around after we launched originally, they were buying all of the flower products for their adult children as presents. And there's that kind of thing that's like, it's surprising, but it's, you know, people, there's less and less of a taboo around cannabis. It's not, you know, eradicated totally, but, but I think people see something that seems well-made and fun and playful and they, they're happy to participate. Yes. You have, it's interesting. It's when you go on to edparker.com, you have to say that you're 21. Like, tell me about the the decision to not separate out maybe into a new website because I do know that you do have two different Instagram accounts. And it was, I did check because I, I was interested to see like you're following on Edie Parker and you're following on Flower by Edie Parker, which, you know, it's over half of the, of Edie Parker's following. And I, I would assume that it's seen a faster, more rapid growth than, than Edie did. Not only faster, more rapid, so much more engaged, so much more excited. I mean, like people just there, that's a community that like is really happy to be there and they love what we do. Um, so yeah, it's a much more engaged community than our ED following. The website question is a tough one because we did have two websites um, with two separate payment processors. We actually had three websites at some point because we had a CBD product line. So we had to have three completely separate websites, which just became unmanageable. Um, and at some point we just said, look, this is a lifestyle brand. We think that cannabis and cannabis accessories are part of this lifestyle. And again, not to say you have to smoke cannabis, but just to say that like, we don't think that cannabis and cannabis accessories need to be hidden in the back of a drawer. If you're 21 and you want to participate and you want to gift your friend a, a one hitter instead of a bottle of you know $20 wine when you go to her house, we think that's awesome. And so while it was very complicated to join the websites, and as you said, we have to have an age gate now, we really just think that showing all these products together and how they live together and why we think of them as decor items and, and as I said, giftable items was important enough to go through all these hoops. Yes. What percentage of your sales these days are handbags? Well, the burn bag has been a, a big hit. So I think it's about 50-50 at this point. Okay, great. And it all kind of, I don't know, aligns. Like even your games, like you don't like, you're not hiding away your games in the closet. You've got these amazing tic-tac-toe. Anyway, so much fun. I'm into it. <laughs> um, Thank you. Tell me about working with influencers as part of your marketing strategy. Is that is that a growing part, a big part? It is now. Um, I think we've been very lucky. Um, we haven't really paid influencers traditionally. I think we make a product that's fun enough that we get a lot of organic content, but we're just now with this new burn collection and some of these newer products at much more accessible price points, really seeing the value. And I think what's been best for us is to gift people that we think are aligned, who we think might enjoy the product. 
And hopefully there's some organic content. And if we see a proof of concept, we feel much more confident than maybe engaging them in a traditional way because we're still a small company. You know, we we have a bigger brand presence than is reality. And so for us, it's like, you know, influencers, it's very expensive to work with influencers. And so if we really think there's going to be ROI, it's worth it. But it's just, it's it's difficult to commit to that without any proof of concept. Tell me about the size of the company. You're New York-based. How many people? You have an office in New York? We have an office in New York, but we're really now, post-COVID, half in New York and half in LA. A lot of people decamped and and never came back. Makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. And we're like, you know, eight to 10 people, give or take, sort of what's happening. That's amazing. Well, at one point, ah. Brett, I have no idea when this was. I, I came to your newer store um, in New York and we did a little video. But anyway, what's been your approach to physical retail? I remember. And by the way, that was forever ago. Um, <laughs> physical retail, um, we first, we opened a store and I don't even remember when it was either. That's embarrassing because <laughs> I don't remember what year it was, but it was years ago. It was before COVID, obviously. And we opened on Madison Avenue and it was a little jewel box of a store and I loved it. Um, And that's where we launched Flower as well. So we were still there in 19. We must have launched in maybe 2017 and then launched Flower there in 2019. Um, But like once that lease was up, it just, it was so expensive to be on Madison and sort of the writing was on the wall for Madison. It was before sort of like now Madison feels good again, but it was right before it felt empty for a long time. Um, And because we saw so much growth potential for flour and just so much opportunity, we thought that we needed to be downtown with more of a downtown customer. Um, So we moved downtown um, and then signed a long, short-term lease, but sort of right before COVID hit. So we did eventually open downtown after COVID and after, and stayed there for a few years. And then after 420, when our lease was ending, we just thought, all right, let's, we're going to close this. We're going to focus on finding the, really the right space because I think the street we picked changed after COVID. Um, and so now we're still, we're still looking for the right spot. Got it. New York is where it's at. And you're still leaning heavily on, not heavily, retail partners are important. They are, but the, you know, it's, it's a different kind of retail partner now because we work with a lot of dispensaries. We're in over 250 dispensary doors throughout the country. Um, and then the fashion stuff, you know, we have some, some key wholesale partners. And I think as we expand our burn collection, we're going to be looking for more, but you know, we, we exited a lot of our wholesale doors during COVID because we were really, really wholesale dependent and it became quite tricky to do that in a, in a global lockdown when you make expensive evening handbags. I'm sure. Oh my God. Did, um, did you have to hire, you talked about your smaller team when you, but you're also, you're selling through dispensaries, you're dealing with new advertising rules, all the things, payment plans. Like did this require dedicated hires or experts in this space to, to pull this off or you've just been studying up? (laughs) We study up. And and the thing is, like, there's no one to hire. It's all, it's like, you know, it's the Wild West and it's all so new. And what's really tricky about working in a federally illegal industry is that the rules are constantly evolving. So you could hire an expert and in six months, his information's obsolete. Um, so we have a lawyer who we check with for, you know, certain rules and regs, but it's just, it's extremely complicated. And from state to state, the rules vary in terms of packaging, packaging compliance, obviously marketing rules vary from state to state. So it's like not a one size fits all. And it's, it's a lot of work. Yes. 
Oh my gosh. Well, every brand is trying to offer something customizable, it seems these days. Like that is a differentiator that everybody wants to, I don't know, brand themselves and self-identify and talk about. Anyway, customization, you are so early on. Is that a, a large part of the business? Or um, And I see that it's the number one menu item on your on your website. It is. It's a, it's a, it's a big part of the business still. It's an important part of the business still. And I still think, you know, there's been many copycats who've followed and I find it upsetting. Um, but the truth is like our bag is still the only bag where it is handmade in America from scratch. When you order it, um, we've expanded to a white glove program. So you could literally come up with anything you want, a pet, uh, a pet portrait, a postcard of your hometown. I mean, what we make are really art products that last for generations. I mean, they're just beautifully made and you feel the difference when you have it in your hand. Um, So we're still really proud of that. And while it maybe isn't like, doesn't make tremendous sense when you think about it with flour, for us, it does. It's still part of a lifestyle. It's still part of, as I said, surprising and delighting, you know, not being ashamed of things you love, celebrating and and just living out loud in color. (laughs) Yes. What's been your approach to fundraising? Do investors want to touch this space? (laughs) Such a great question. Um, It's a tricky space. So technically where we've had um, a little breathing room is that we are not technically plant touching. While we sell THC products, we will be in six states with THC products this summer with an expanded SKU count. Um, We basically just license our IP to partners. And so it's not, it's not, you know, people who don't want to touch the space can get involved with us still, but it is it is something that people are wary of. It's a great question. Okay, great. Well, what else is happening? What's challenging you now besides you're over the hump? You you got this to market. It's booming. Um, the economy's not great. What's been the behavior? I mean, in cannabis, well, in everything, I mean, but especially in cannabis, it it does feel a little bit like a race to the bottom in terms of pricing, and that's really challenging. Um, and I think that look, we just need a bit of a win. You know, I think that it seems less and less likely that anything's going to happen with Congress and the Senate in terms of any legalization. But the reasons for it are so terrible. And and not having access to banking for people who are in this business, it's so dangerous. It also, like, all the good intentions with social justice reform that people are, like, you know, granting licenses to people – they they have there's no access to money so it's impossible to do well but i'm but i'm very optimistic that the biden administration before the election will announce a decision on rescheduling um and i think that that would be a sea change and it would just be so great for the industry and for the country because just to you know i didn't say this to you today but i say it constantly on my soapbox which is cannabis is and will be the largest job creator in this country and it is the largest tax revenue generator in every state where it's legal. So to keep it to keep it illegal is just, you know, and it, by the way, it's a schedule one drug right now higher than cocaine. It's classified the same as heroin currently, which is just beyond, beyond, beyond nonsensical. That's wild. Do you have a community? Um, I think you're the only fashion cannabis adjacent brand I can think of. <laughs> Anybody else in this world where you can bounce ideas off of or whatever? Yeah. I mean, I think there are people getting into it. I think people see that it's going to be, you know, it's a, it's a cultural moment and fashion at its best, right? Like puts a mirror up to what's happening in culture. Like, you know, you look back and trace moments and they're, they're there in fashion. So I think that people will enter the space and there's people like, you know, Brandon Blackwood is a friend and a big cannabis advocate. He, he uses 
cannabis products, you know, in, in some of his shoes and his, his stuff. So I think that will happen more and more, but no one really doing what we're doing at the moment. Yes. Well, what can we expect from the brand for the next 12 months or so, the next year? Um, well, we, as I had mentioned, we are launching an expanded THC product line in several more states, which is a big deal. You know, to launch THC in a state, you have to be vertically integrated in that state. So you have to grow, oh, wow. package, distribute, et cetera. You can't like grow in Colorado and ship to California. You can't cross state lines. So to be in as many states as we're in is a really big deal. It'll make us the most widely distributed female cannabis brand in the space by a lot. So we're excited about that. Um, and we're just going to continue to launch new products in in Flower and in Evie Parker. As I made reference to, like our burn collection is getting so many more SKUs for fall market. And we just love it. We're going to put retractable lighters on everything. And it's really like, you know, it's our logo, our hardware. And we just think it's so fun. And take it to a woman's circle and burn sage with it. <laughs> it's brilliant. Red, this was so fun. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It was lovely to see you again. You too. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to The Glossy Podcast. See you next week.